0: You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From high atop the Jack Jack Memorial Reading throne here in the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library, Within the comfy confines of the wilds of Connecticut, this is Obscure, the podcast in which I read Jude the Obscure out loud and comment on it as I go. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover your literary mansplainer-in-chief, Michael Ian Black. It is a joy to be with you. We've got just a just a tiny bit to go left in the book, Jude the Obscure, to all of you who have accompanied me so far on this journey. I thank you, and surely we are on tender hooks, are we not? jude has remarried arabella he is fading fast from this world the light dimming in his eyes his passions only aroused when arabella dares dares i say to besmirch the good name of sue bridehead and when she does he leaps up from his sickbed and throttles her well look. He doesn't throttle her. He pushes her back onto the couch and says, basically, say say it again. Say her name again. Say it again. Watch what happens. Say it again. Watch what happens. And she's like, well, what are you going to do? Kill me? He's like, I will kill you. I will kill you here and now. And then I will die and everything will be better. You'll be dead. I'll be dead. The world will be a better place. Do you believe me? She's like, I don't believe you. He's like, okay, I I wasn't going to kill you, but will you do me a favor? Will you bring her here? Just bring her here so that I can essentially say my goodbyes and, uh, you know, make peace with her and the world. Just let me die in peace, Arabella. We don't even know why he's dying. I mean, that's, I mean, or really if he's dying, he may just, he might just have a cold. But it seems like, you know, look, we're at the end of the book. There's no point in Jude going on in living. So let's just assume he's dying. Let's assume he's got consumption or something of the sort. Again, I don't know what consumption is, but I know that's what people die from. That's one of the things people seem to die from all the time. Back then, he caught consumption and he took to his bed and he never rose again. Things like that. He's he's had a hard life. He's done nothing but suffer, except for a, a, a few happy years. With his cousin Sue. He said, Look, just do me this one favor, all right? Just get Sue, bring her here. Arabella says, I'll do it. I'll send for her, Arabella murmured, if you'll agree to my being in the room with you all the time she's here. That's where I stopped last time. And here's the question What does Arabella care? You know, she doesn't want Jude. And what does she think? What does she think's going to happen? Is she jealous? I mean, let's say, yes, she is. And let's say that even though she has no love for Jude in her heart and never has, she doesn't want anyone else to show him any love. And he, and she certainly doesn't want him to be happy in any way, shape or form. And so if, if Sue were to come into the room and and she sees him light up, and she sees some color return to his cheeks, that would displease her. So she's she's hell-bent on making the visit, if it comes, as miserable as it can be. It's already going to be awkward. Now she wants it to be miserable. And look, you and I, listener, we want to see Sue again, too. We want to see how she's getting along in her marriage with Phillotson. With whom she has never been in love. So we've got two people married to uh to folks they don't love. Phillipson does, in fact, love Sue. Arabella does not, in fact, love Jude. So she says, All right, I'll go, I'll get her. But I'm gonna I'm gonna be here. The softer side of his nature, the desire to see Sue made him unable to resist the offer even now provoked as he had been and he replied breathlessly yes i agree only send for her in the evening he inquired if she had written yes she said i wrote a note telling ye, telling her you were ill and asking her to come tomorrow or the day after i haven't posted it yet the next day jude wondered if she really did post it but would not ask her and foolish hope that lives on a drop and a crumb made him restless with expectation. He knew the times of the possible trains and listened on each occasion for sounds of her. She did not come, but Jude would not address Arabella again thereon. He hoped and expected all the next day, but no Sue appeared. Neither was there any note of reply. Then Jude decided in the privacy of his mind that Arabella had never posted hers, although she had written it. There was something in her manner which told it. His physical weakness was such that he shed tears at the disappointment when she was not there to see. His suspicions were, in fact, well-founded. Arabella, like some other nurses, thought that your duty towards your invalid was to pacify him by any means short of really acting upon his fancies. So she said she's going to write the note, which maybe she did, maybe she didn't. But, uh, but, but now we know for sure she didn't post it, you know. She extracted this promise from him. All right, I'll send it, but 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 I'm going to sit here and watch you suffer. But then she didn't follow through. And then, you know, look, we're not surprised by this behavior from Arabella. How many times have I said I was going to do something and then I didn't do it? Michael, Michael, did you change the kitty litter? Yes, I did. Michael, what? Did you change the kitty litter? I just said I did. Did you change the kitty litter? No, I didn't the chances are if you ask me to do something, I will agree almost immediately. The chances of me actually doing the thing, slim to none. Slim to none. Because my job as a nurse is to pacify my invalids. And when you are as arrogant as I am, as smug and pompous and pretentious as I am, everybody around you, everybody arrayed in your circle appears to be an invalid right because they don't have they don't have what you have which is uh, a fairly good understanding of the novel Jude the Obscure so when you are done with this podcast listener you will be able to do the same You see now? Do you see the purpose of this podcast? I have given you a great gift. I have given you the gift of pacification to all invalids. So when an invalid, and by invalid now, I mean everybody who hasn't listened to every episode of this podcast, when an invalid asks you to do something, your job will be to pacify. Yes, of course, you will say, I will be happy to do that. And then you don't have to do it. That is the great permission that i have given you with my gift of this podcast and you're welcome he never said another word to her about his wish or his conjecture a silent undiscerned resolve grew up in him which gave him if not strength stability and calm One midday, when after an absence of two hours, she came into the room, she beheld the chair empty. Down she flopped on the bed and sitting, meditated. Now where the devil is my man gone to, she said. I mean, my man. Does she care? Really? And has, has he really just been sitting in the chair, staring at the fire all these weeks? I think maybe he has, you know. But his anger now, his fury, at Arabella has given him some resolve. It has actually given him something to live for, which is to see Sue again. A driving rain from the Northeast had been falling with more or less intermission all the morning. And looking from the window at the dripping spouts, it seemed impossible to believe that any sick man would have ventured out to almost certain death Yet a conviction possessed Arabella that he had gone out and it became a certainty when she had searched the house. If he's such a fool, let him be, she said. I can do no more. Yes, Arabella, you have done all you can possibly do. You have looked in the rooms. You have, uh, you have given this man a hearth and a home. You have showered him with your affection and love, and look what this ungrateful bastard does, but heads out into the rain, where certain death awaits. I mean you know where he goes, you know the places he goes, you could go to the bar, you could inquire. Tinker Taylor, have you seen my man? No, I haven't, though he's a bit he's looking a bit thinner the fitch lately flitch or fitch i forget which jude was at that moment in a railway train that was drawing near to alfredston oddly swathed pale as a monumental figure in alabaster and much stared at by other passengers an hour later this thin form in the long great coat and blanket he had come with but without an umbrella could have been seen walking along the five mile road to Mary Green. Yes, he's he's returning to the beginning, isn't he? Pale as a monumental figure in Alabaster. And yet we know, in fact, that he is drawn and gaunt. How monumental is he? Well, in our imaginations, reader, I think he's fairly monumental. A figure of towering morality. Our Jude, our suffering Job. And now he makes his way back home, finally, at last, to see Sue. And I think that is a good time to pause. Hi, we're back. Jude is on his way back home to see Sue. And uh, yeah, let's find out how that goes. On his face showed the determined purpose that alone sustained him, but to which his weakness afforded a sorry foundation. By the uphill walk, he was quite blown, but he pressed on. And at half past three o'clock stood by the familiar well, at Marygreen. The rain was keeping everybody indoors. Jude crossed the green to the church without observation and found the building open. Here he stood, looking forth at the school whence he could hear the usual sing-song tones of the little voices that had not learnt Creation's groan. Well, that feels poetic, but I don't think I understand it. That had not learnt creations groan. What groan? Meaning just the, the agony of life, the usual sing-song tones of the little voices that had not learnt creations groan. I mean, that feels like a. It feels like an allusion to something. It feels like this is one of those places where there should be a footnote, but I don't. I don't know what that means. I think it's irony. You know, when in doubt, just say it's irony. Ah, and, and, and just give a knowing nod to all your invalids. Ah, yes, you can say. And they'll understand that you understand that it's irony, whatever they have said. And they'll agree that it's ironic, whatever they've said, because it makes them seem more clever. He waited till a small boy came from the school. One evidently allowed out before hours for some reason or other. Jude held up his hand and the child came please call at the schoolhouse and ask Mrs. Phillotson if she will be kind enough to come to the church for a few minutes. That is my sick voice, which I feel like I, I did fairly well. Uh, look, would I have liked to, to add a couple sniffles? Maybe. Should it have sound, uh, sounded a little more phlegmatic? Perhaps. But all in all, I feel like I captured the bundled figure of our gaunt, monumental alabaster creation, Jude, and his groans. The child departed. Now, look, If it, now, I don't know how many children listen. I imagine quite a few. But if you're ever in a church or really anywhere where there's nobody else around... And a man who looks like he's uh, homeless and on death's door uh, holds up his hand and and beckons you to come. I'm not saying don't approach. All I'm saying is keep, keep a safe distance between you and the fella. You know, at best, he's going to ask for money. At worst, he's going to show you his wiener. And you don't want to see that guy's wiener, not even Jude. You don't want to see Jude's wiener the child departed and Jude heard him knock on the door of the dwelling. He himself went further into the church. So, you know, this is all metaphoric. You know, he's, he has left the church at Mary green. And now all these years later, he is returning to it. And not only that, as, as, uh, as this monumental figure of alabaster goes to the church, he moves further into it. And we can just imagine a scene of uh, La Pieta. Is that, is that what it is? You know, that famous statue, perhaps also of alabaster, of uh, Mary cradling Jesus as he's come off the cross, dead in her arms. Yeah, that's what it's called la pieta well, let's just let's look at the most famous one and that you know it looks alabaster he's gaunt you know he's he's naked she's holding him uh it's michelangelo you know it's real sad some real sad shit. so we are setting ourselves up for one of those you know deep in the church everything was new meaning at the church, except a few pieces of carving preserved from the wrecked old fabric, now fixed against the new walls. He stood by these. They seemed akin to the perished people of that place who were were his ancestors and Sue's. A light footstep, which might have been accounted no more than an added drip to the rainfall, sounded in the porch, and he looked round. Oh, I didn't think it was you. I didn't. Oh, Jude. A hysterical catch in her breath ended in a succession of them. He advanced, but she quickly recovered and went back. Don't go. Don't go, he implored. This is my last time. I thought it would be less intrusive than to enter your house, and I shall never come again. Don't then be unmerciful, Sue. Sue, we are acting by the letter, and the letter killeth. And now we do have a footnote referring to the letter killeth. We are acting by the letter, and the letter killeth. What letter killeth them? And it's really just Judas being killeth, killeth, I say. Uh, this harks back to the epigraph on page 35 of the book, where more properly, that epigraph reflects the crucial moment of the story. The sense of the words in two Corinthians is not as it is sometimes Uh, out of context taken to be ignore the rules and do as you like it is not individualistic at all verse 5 reads not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves but our sufficiency is of God hmm I'm going to go back to page 35 and just look at that again Let's just see what it has to say. Page 35. Oh, yeah, I mean, right, right there. All it says is, the letter killeth. So that, uh, I want to understand that better, which means I'm going to have to read it a little more closely, which means you might be bored. I, look, I'm sorry. This harks back to the epigraph on page 35. Okay or more properly, that epigraph, the letter killeth, reflects this crucial moment of the story. The sense of the words is not, as it is sometimes taken out of context, ignore the rules and do as you like. Okay, so we know that uh, uh, Jude and Sue chose to ignore the rules and do as they liked. And in doing so, they suffered. They suffered terribly. They suffered worse than anybody should have to suffer. Even I, a loser of a dog, has not suffered as much as uh, Jude and Sue in the destruction, literal destruction of their family. Nobody has suffered more. And, and, And that's what happens. The letter killeth. Verse five reads, and then this comes before the letter killeth, I believe, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. So Hardy seems to be saying, I think this is what you get. This is what you get, stupid. The letter killeth. The letter of God killeth. When you take it upon yourself to to move outside the rules, when you take it upon yourself to lead some kind of hippy-dippy life, this is what comes of it. You end up right where you started, ill of health, racked with consumption, begging the love of your life to give you just a moment of her time. And you recognize now at last finally that no good can come from breaking the rules now here's the i mean the larger question is does hardy believe this does hardy believe that we are bound to rules greater than ourselves our only sufficiency is to god and more interestingly if he believes that Does he feel encaged by that belief? Meaning, does Hardy want to escape the strictures of his life altogether and live the kind of fantasy that he had set out for Jude, but knows that he cannot, knows that he is forever entombed I started with cage, but I'm now going to go to entombed in the letter. And if he were to deviate too much from the letter, he himself would be killed. And is he wish, ri- willing to risk his own soul for a shot at happiness? And the answer seems to be no. The answer seems to be, yeah, no, not so much. I'm just going to sit here in my house and write my little books and my poems. And this is going to, and and in fact, we know Jude the Obscure is the last book he wrote. He turns to poetry after this, but he's going to suffer in his unhappy marriage. I'm assuming it's unhappy and I'm not going to do the things about which I dream because I can't, because I am entombed here in this house in merry old England. I'll stay I won't be unkind, she said, her mouth quivering and her tears flowing as she allowed him to come closer. But why did you come and do this wrong thing after doing such a right thing as you have done? What right thing? Marrying Arabella again it was in the alfredston paper she has never been other than yours jude in a proper sense and therefore you did so well oh so well in recognizing it in taking her to you again god above this is jude speaking god above and is that all i've come to hear If there is anything more degrading, immoral, unnatural than another in my life, it is this meretricious contract with Arabella which has been called doing the right thing. And you too, you call yourself Phillotson's wife, his wife, you are mine. Don't make me rush away from you, I can't bear much. But on this point I am decided. I cannot understand how you did it. How you think it, I cannot. Never mind that. He is a kind husband to me, and I I have wrestled and struggled and fasted and prayed. I have nearly brought my body into complete subjection. and you mustn't will you wake, wake? Oh, you mustn't, will you? Wake. She has almost brought her body into complete subjection. She has almost extinguished that light, that animating force of hers. That you know, the one who bought some dirty statues and you know rubbed one out to him. The one who turned her back on her religion, the one who gave herself to her cousin, pretty unwillingly, let's be honest. But in fact, found happiness with her cousin. She turned her back on all of that. And she has almost succeeded in killing, killing that part of herself, which she feels she must do. She has almost succeeded in extinguishing that part. And she says, and you come here looking like a drowned cat. Will you wake, meaning will you awaken once again that part of me that I have spent so much time fasting and praying and struggling and wrestling with? I've almost put a sleeper hold on it and it's about to tap out. And then you come, you dick. What do you think you're doing, you dick? And we're going to take another quick break. Okay. Uh hi, we're going to wrap up today's reading. I've got a little bit more I'd like to do. So Jude says to Sue, "Oh, you darling little fool, where is your reason? You seem to have suffered the loss of your faculties. I would argue with you if I didn't know that a woman in your state of feeling is quite beyond all appeals to her brains." <laughs> Is it that you are humbugging yourself, as so many women do about these things, and you don't actually believe what you pretend to, and only are indulging in the luxury of the emotion raised by an affected belief? Luxury? How can you be so cruel? You dear, sad, soft, most melancholy wreck of a promising human intellect that it has ever been my lot to behold. Where is your scorn of convention gone? I would have died game. You crush, almost insult me, Jude. Go away from me. She turned off quickly. I will. I would never come to see you again, even if I had the strength to come, which I shall not have any more. Sue, Sue, you are not worth a man's love wow so that's what he came to tell i mean i don't know that that's what he came to tell her i don't think that that is what he came to tell her i think he was hoping for better but now now he has cut her to the quick now he has said the thing which is most likely to destroy her you are not worth a man's love. Sue, who has said that she is in love with being loved. Sue, who is uh, is a spirit, essentially, she is of air. And what do spirits want? They want to be seen and heard and loved because they feel themselves to be so vaporous. they will escape notice and attention altogether and so they do what they can to be heard to be seen to be loved and sue has only ever wanted love she has phillicines and she has almost convinced herself that it is enough and then he comes and ruins her pity party then he comes And gives her the most devastating truth of all. You are not worth a man's love. Because we have seen what a man's love can be. Filial. Consuming. Strong. Strong enough to surrender the love. We have seen what Jude's love can be. An abiding love. Willing to give everything. A persistent love. Willing to even give his own life. And he didn't even really ask for that much in exchange. In fact, he really asked for almost nothing. And it was only when she surrendered to his love that she herself found some happiness. Some measured happiness that was then snatched away because as it says the letter killeth so i'll leave it there for the moment i'll leave it with that thunderous truth you are not worth a man's love and you know how is she supposed to respond to that because she knows he's right She knows that in a very real sense, she took the easy way out. When her kids died, she surrendered to the letter, right? So here's the, here's, look, we talked about irony before. There's going to be some more irony here in surrendering to the letter in surrendering to the rules and strictures of the time. Of the word of the Lord. What has she done but killed herself? Now, we know that in a very real sense, that's what she wanted after suffering this egregious uh, calamity. But it seems like the letter killeth if you follow it and the letter killeth if you don't. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. You fucked either way. Hey, Shakespeare, you fucked either way. That, I mean, maybe that's ultimately where the bleakness of the book comes from. Because to be honest, I knew it was a bleak book heading into it. That's all I knew knew about you, The Obscure. Oh, that's a sad book. Oh, that's a bleak book. But now it's not just because of what happens in the book. Although that is bleak and sad. What is bleakest about the book is this existential dilemma, perhaps. This you're damned if you do or you're damned if you don't. Because we are not sufficient. We are just motes of dust blowing around, insufficient to affect change at all, insufficient even to comport ourselves in our own lives, the only thing we have is what Jude has and has always had, dignity. Jude has always maintained his dignity, even when behaving badly, which he has done at times, as we all have. But he has found a kind of uh, 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 a titanium core that has never left him. And even now as he dies, he is unwilling to renounce that which he has renounced, which is this illusion that he believes that he'd been li- living under. The, and, and it is Sue who red-pilled him. Sue's like, look, take the red pill. You'll see the world for what it is. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. You can't take the blue pill after the red. And Sue tried to do exactly that. She tried to get back into the matrix and she'd almost succeeded. She'd almost been like, yeah, this is just the world, you know, just the world. It's fine. You know, everything's cool. Everything's fine. It's great. You know, I got a job I teach. You know, I got a nice husband. It's great. Everything's fine. Everything's good. But she still sees glimpses of those ones and zeros circling by her eyeballs. And then Jude shows up and she's like, Neo, what are you doing here? Neo, I was supposed to be back in the matrix. What are you doing? And Jude's like, you're the one who red pilled me. You red pilled me. Now I'm throwing that red pill right back in your face. Take the pill. She's like, I won't. She's like, you don't even deserve it. You don't even deserve the red pill. So that's where we are. Very sad. Really very sad. I mean, I'm like, I'm like legitimately feeling bummed out. Because I because because I feel like I recognize that crushing weight of You know just kind of bearing down on me as as we all do but you kind of forget about it for a little while and then thomas hardy opens up his big fat mouth and he's like yeah you're nothing and you're like yeah i guess you're right so that sucks well look just uh tend to your invalids everybody you know just make promises that you cannot possibly have any intention of keeping be ironic and feast and i mean fast and wrestle and struggle And try to, you know, kill your own flame if you can. Just try to extinguish that flame. Take the blue pill and see if you feel better in the morning. Until then, I wish you adieu. Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. If you like what you've heard, please write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't like what you've heard, Take it up with Thomas Hardy. Obscure is produced by Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn, who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by Craig Wedgerin. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor from the wilds of Connecticut. I'm Michael Ian Black.